You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mix Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us as always, it's your friend and mine from MMA Junkie and USA Today, Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? Doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing well. We have uh, a lot to talk about. We have we have two shows, two upcoming UFC shows that are both this week before we'll get a chance to do another co-main event podcast. So you could say we have we have to double dip today. I don't think we can do it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, say right now. We don't we don't have this in us, Chad. You think we're going to get through the uh, fight night show on Thursday and then gas out, not be able to make it to UFC 164? Look, look at us. We're already pretty high on the Coleman Index here. That's true. That's true. Uh, although I thought I had heard somewhere that we were in the best shape of our lives and the training camp had gone perfectly. It's true. You know, uh, just an honest, totally realistic assessment of our condition reveals that we're having some of our best podcasting right now. We're showing things that we've never shown before podcast wise that's right we can't wait to get out there in front of the people and show off all of the podcasting skills that we have picked up during our perfect training camp we will either be brand new podcasters or alternatively returning to the old podcasters we used to be before we lost sight you know i'm not the same guy you did a podcast with last week i'm a totally different guy it looks like it anyway ben this week's music comes to us courtesy of podcast listener jason earl and his band king east and as always, we'll put a link to their stuff up on comainevent.com. So if you like what you hear, you can go there and, uh, and find more from King East. In any case, as usual, today's Comain Event podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, finally, the rematch two and a half years in the making as Ben Henderson and Anthony Pettis renew their classic WEC 53 fight that, you know, not very many people actually watched because it was in the WEC. They saw the highlights, though. And in round number two, speaking of long waits, for the first time since 2002, Josh Barnett is back in the UFC, and Frank Mir is on is still on TRT, and apparently, so is Ben Rothwell, 31-year-old Ben Rothwell. Shit never ends, man. And in round number three, in the UFC's second most important show this week, Carlos Condit rematches Martin Campman and Donald Cerrone fights Rafael Dos Anjos on a card that, if nothing else, looks fun as hell. All that, plus Are You Fucking Kidding Me, and just saying stuff. But first, like we do every week about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. Ben, the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Charlie Slauson. He writes, This past week, the Department of Justice blocked a proposed merger between American Airlines and U.S. Airways, claiming that both airlines could operate as standalone companies and that the merger would strongly limit the options of the consuming public. So that's a little... Just some current events. For yeah. You. For those of you who only want to hear about MMA shit, now you accidentally learn something. Couldn't those same arguments be made in regards to Pride, the WEC, and Strike Force, and their eventual eventual purchases by Zufa? You have, you have discussed in previous podcasts how the UFC has flooded the market with their product, making it incredibly difficult for any serious competitor to emerge. Wouldn't it be interesting to see an important government agency like the Department of Justice weigh in on the UFC's virtual monopoly on mixed martial arts? Do you feel fighters and fans would be better off had Zufa not purchased those promotions? Please discuss. 
It's an interesting question. Uh, although comparing it to airlines, I feel is a mistake. Better to compare it to other professional sporting organizations. And you'll see, you look around, monopoly seems to be the rule rather than the exception in major American professional sports. Like you look at the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, uh, and Chad, when we were discussing earlier uh, over chat some of these issues, uh, USA Today, my employer, had a story not too long ago about uh, the issue of whether or not what what the NFL's tax situation is. That the NFL, the league itself, is a, uh, a not-for-profit, does not get taxed. Individual teams get taxed. The NFL itself does not get taxed. Uh, a paragraph from that story, the NFL has been classified as not-for-profit since about 1942. Then in 1966, lest there be any question, Congress amended the law to specifically list professional football leagues as 501c6 organizations, along with chambers of commerce and boards of trade. It happened as a result of horse trading with Congress that included an antitrust exemption for the NFL that helped it merge with the AFL, a rival league. In exchange, Congress received pledges from the NFL, including a promise to add a franchise in New Orleans. So... I guess that's how we ended up with the Saints. Just a humble nonprofit <laughs> is the NFL, as Mike Goldberg would say. Yeah. See, they got a special exemption to get the AFL and, uh, you know, become the, the powerhouse we see as the NFL. I mean, would anybody really argue today that we'd be better off or that football players would be better off uh, or that the American sporting public would be better off if they were still the NFL and AFL separately? I don't think so. Oh, I would. I was a huge AFL fan back in the day. I loved yeah. those. I can't even think of an AFL team that didn't make it. Did they all come over? Like the uh, the Chiefs were were an AFL team, right? Yeah. The Raiders, I believe, also were. The Jets. Could I go. Think. You know what? I bet. I bet that when people plugged in the co-main event podcast this week, they were like, you know, I hope that we get a an extended dialogue on the tax situation of the National Football yeah. League. I hope they were like, man, I hope these guys try and fumble through remembering who was in the AFL. <laughs> now, this is an interesting question, though, because if I'm not mistaken, didn't the federal government like at least make some kind of nod in the direction of Zufa LLC uh, during the last couple of years and, and determined in short order that they're not an actual legal monopoly? I, I thought that that occurred, although it could be that I just dreamed it and uh, had one of my lucid dreams that I... That happens so frequently. Well, it seems like just on the face of it, they're not a monopoly. I mean, right. There's Bellator and there's a bunch of other smaller organizations. But like you have a, you know, kind of large on a major cable network uh, organization in Bellator. I mean, it's one thing for us to be like, yeah, but it's not a real competitor. It's number two by default kind of thing. But still, I mean, you can't really call it a monopoly. There, There's another organization out there where guys can go out there and make money. I mean, as for right. whether it's not it be, a legal monopoly. Yeah. You, I think you could pretty easily make an argument that it's that it's essentially a practical monopoly. Well, there's also, I think, when you compare it to something like airlines, where, like, you know, people kind of got to use airlines. They got to get where they're going to go. So you can put a real, as Chad would say, strangle bar on uh, the public if you have too much power consolidated in too few airlines. But it's not like that necessarily with pro sports because, I mean, we're talking about entertainment basically for most people. So it's hard to make the argument that, like, the, the public is being poorly served by there being, you know, one powerful central organization. I mean, is the public poorly served by the NBA? I, I don't think so. You know how the public would be poorly served, though? How? If the UFC ran an airline. Oh, God. That, now, that would be an awful airline. Anyway, there's a lot of people being told to sit down and shut the fuck up. Go fuck themselves. <laughs> yes. Second question this week comes to us from Richard Toner. 
What do you guys think of the UFC's decision to match Vitor against Dan Henderson? I get that they're both big names and pay-per-view main event worthy, but considering Vitor is 2-0 and and looked great in his last two, parenthetically, albeit chemically enhanced, and Hendo is 0-2 and looked very flat in his last two, does it seem like they're punishing Vitor? Also, this is another fight in Brazil for Vitor, who hasn't fought on US, on U.S. soil since two, August 2011. I wonder why. Or am I reading too much into this, and that it's just a great fight that the people want to see? Uh, well, I mean, I think that the, 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 the fact that Belfort is once again fighting in Brazil is probably a, a valid topic for discussion. I don't really have a problem with the matchmaking. I think that Vitor Belfort against Dan Henderson, um, on its face, uh, if you, you know, don't consider the, some of the maybe black marks on the uh, on this fight. I mean, I think it's a good matchup, competitive matchup, a matchup between two name guys, uh, and a fight between two guys that a lot of people like to watch fight. So, from a competitive standpoint, I don't I don't have a problem with it. And I mean, hell, if you got guys out there on TRT, might as well just have them fight each other. Am I right? Yeah, uh, I would say one person pointed this out to me in the Twitter mailbag. I, I can't remember who it was, but it's a good point that uh, a sad little little twist here is that when Vitor Belfort tested positive for steroids, that was after a fight with Dan Henderson and pride. Mm. Now they rematch in the, the TRT tastic wonderland that is Brazil um, with presumably both of them on the good stuff. It just seems like, well, what have we learned? You know, that, that pride fight was in 2006 who would have thought that like seven years later we'd be in a situation where basically the PED landscape in MMA is worse because of the legally sanctioned testosterone use. That that kind of bums me out to think about it. Yeah. I had also not considered that until you just brought it up. And I think you are correct. I think that that makes me feel a little bit uh, less optimistic than I would like to feel right now at the, at this moment. As far as the, the actual matchmaking, uh, it does seem weird that here you have Vitor. I mean, if we're expected to take this totally seriously, no asterisks next to anybody's name, which the UFC seems to think we should. Uh, Vitor's on a two-fight winning streak. Dan Henderson's on a two-fight losing streak. Vitor's talking about, you know, hey, I don't want to fight again at middleweight unless it's for a title shot. Uh, and then the, instead the UFC says, all right, we'll give you a guy who's lost two straight. That is unusual kind of for the UFC. They usually match guys coming off wins with guys coming off wins and losses with losses. Uh, so this one does seem a little bit like, all right, Vitor, you want to be difficult? You want to be difficult matchmaking wise? Fine. We'll keep you in Brazil and you can fight a guy who, you know, even if you beat him, it might be a boring fight that where your, your stock goes down a little bit. Yeah, it it probably deserves to be mentioned that both of Dan Henderson's most recent losses were at light heavyweight. So, you know, by coming back down to 185, which is a weight that, frankly, Dan Henderson uh, in in his most recent career hasn't really seemed like he wanted to be bothered to try to make. Uh, but if he's going to come down to 185, I suppose he re regains a little bit of his luster uh, just because those two losses were, were at the higher weight. Um, and, you know... I, I, <laughs> The, 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 I saw Vitor Belfort went on, uh, 
But it won't. It, I, I think it's two oh five, right? The, the, that they're fighting at. Oh, are they having this fight at uh, light heavyweight? I believe they are. Well, that just doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. Does well, he it? doesn't want to fight at middleweight unless it's for a title shot. That's his thing, right? Oh, I thought you were saying that like that was another contradiction about the fight that he said he didn't want to fight at one eighty five except for the title, and then they tricked him into doing it again. No, I mean I think that they basically tricked him into fighting a guy that we think of as kind of being a middleweight, uh, or at least not like a real true light heavyweight. But so I let th- me get this straight. I think that's part of the thing to sweeten the deal for both of them is like, look, you, you don't have to, to cut out the Funyuns this training camp. It's at 205. So you're sitting over there telling me that Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson are going to fight each other in Brazil at light heavyweight. It seems that way, yes. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> your, whole, your whole countenance just changed. We got we to gotta record this whole thing over again. All my <laughs> notes are, are, are rendered useless. <laughs> I don't have any notes. No. That's a lie no. about the notes. The part about the notes was a lie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, look, look, let's, well, let's just say this. They're being a little bit touchy. Everyone's being a little bit touchy about the fact that Vitor has only fought in Brazil as, uh, as the, 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 the emailer points out, you know, he's, he hasn't fought in America since August, 2011. Um, I know Vitor went on the MMA hour today as we're recording this and said, the reason that he fights only in Brazil doesn't have anything to do with his TRT, that he takes blood tests all the time. He only fights in Brazil because he sells a lot there. He's a big draw there. It's a win, 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 win for everybody except maybe Dan Henderson who has to go down there and fight him in Brazil. And uh, also Dana White just briefly got into it with Kevin Ioli from Yahoo on uh, on Twitter this week about the same topic. Which, by the way, seemed like an overreaction on Dana's part. It and did. It the, did. the kind of overreaction that tells us that the UFC realizes that this is a problem, that right. it is a growing like public relations issue that they have to deal with. And in, in lieu of dealing with it right now, as you say, getting a little touchy, getting a little sensitive. Because to lash out at Kevin Ioli for saying what a bunch of us have been saying for a long time, that, hey, this looks weird for you guys to ha- keep having Vitor fight in Brazil. And Dana White's response before has been, well, no, it's because he sells tickets there, but he'll fight America again. It's not like we're keeping him in Brazil forever. He'll fight here again, and he- he'll be able to get his exemption, even though Nevada says, no, he probably won't. Uh, it won't be a problem. But then, by the way, his next fight is in Brazil. I mean... You can say all you want. We're going to look at what you do and then draw our conclusions based on that. And one of the things I thought was weird about it when uh, Dana lashed out at Kevin Ioli was to say, hey, why don't you call me and ask a real fucking reporter? Because we know what you'll say. We've heard it already. Like we, We've heard your explanation for this. We know exactly what it is. Uh, he doesn't need to, to call it up and, and get the same explanation that you've already given three or four times uh, in public media events uh, before he can tweet that, yeah, the same thing we've all been saying. This looks a little weird. Come on. Third piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Wayne F. He writes, so Bellator, the totally legit number two MMA organization in the world, isn't interested in signing their free agent welterweight champ. The reason cited seemed to boil down to, quote, we want a less boring champion, end quote. Are you kidding me? I recall not so long ago the throngs of Zufa slash Dana White critics who constantly lambasted the UFC for not giving John Fitch a rematch against GSP, supposedly due to his boring wrestling style. What are these same folks going to have to say about Rebney and Bellator just tossing their champ to the side due to his incredibly effective wrestling? Hopefully this absurdity results in a, a shortage of pay-per-view buys for the Aces and Eights versus Main Event Mafia. Oh, shoot. Sorry, wrong. Spike Show. Ooh. The Tito Rampo- Rampage Bellator fight. And let's also hope that when Askren jumps ship to the UFC, 
We get an in-ring promo involving Askren tossing the Bellator belt in a trash can live on FS1, all la Alondra Blaze slash Medusa, jumping ship to WCW in the 90s, because that would be awesome, and we all know it. A, yes, that would be awesome. B, feel like we we took some liberties with this question, kind of wandered away <laughs> from the original the original uh, uh, trajectory, made some, made some points I didn't necessarily see coming. I'd like to congratulate myself for not pointing out that both Wayne and the previous emailer referred to uh, an organization as a they. Except you just did it right now. No, I didn't. I just congratulated myself on not doing that. <laughs> well, okay. The the original point, doesn't it look weird Bellator letting their welterweight champion walk? Um, letting its welterweight champion walk. Thank you. In conversation, <laughs> I think it's perfectly acceptable. I know. We've heard your, your arcane rules about this. Okay. Uh, for one thing... We have to talk about whether we take at face value Bjorn Rebney's claim that eh, we probably won't make Ben Askren an offer. Because I talked to Askren about that, and he says he thinks it might be a ploy to keep to start bargaining low uh, if it comes to like kind of a bidding war between Bellator and the UFC. I think there's something to that. Well, then there's precedent for it, right? Well, also, as somebody pointed out, I think again in the Twitter mailbag, uh, was that, man— Bjorn Rebney seems like he can't fucking win. He goes to the mattresses to try and keep Eddie Alvarez, and he's a scumbag for that. He says, no, we'll let Ben Askren walk if he wants to go to the UFC. We won't make him an offer to try and get him to stay, and he's an asshole for that. You know, what do we want from the guy? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it would be good if Bellator made the effort to try to keep his champions around but didn't go quite, quite to the extreme of threatening them with lawsuits and keeping them on the bench for months at a time if it turns out that they don't really want to go back there and fight. It would be awesome if Bellator kept champions that were totally pumped about being Bellator champions if, in fact, such dudes existed. Yeah. The question I want to know from you is, have you updated your ridiculous blanket opinion about Ben Askren in the UFC yet that we talked about a couple weeks ago? My blanket opinion? What was my blanket opinion? You just shortchanged the guy's entire UFC career in about two sentences, as I No, oh, well, my prediction was that uh, gets jabbed to death, uh, loses a decision via jab to GSP, uh, knocked out by Johnny Hendricks, and wins a split decision over Carlos Condit. You're That's like, my prediction. You're like the MMA version of Kreskin. Like, why, you know, why even have the fights? We just got Ben Folks here to... Uh, to look into th to throw a bunch of bones out on the table and and predict the future. To be clear, because it seems to to piss off friend of the podcast Danny Boy Downs yep. whenever we, we you're going to get another angry email from Danny Downs <laughs> whenever this week. I am dismissive of uh, Ben Askren. I would like to see Ben Askren in the UFC. I think that he beats most of the welterweights in the UFC. Um, I also think that he continues to do exactly what he's been doing in Bellator to a bunch of the UFC guys, and we learned that he wasn't just able to do that to Bellator guys because they suck. He's able to do it because he's good. Um, I still don't think he becomes UFC champion that way. I think he falls short of that that elite top echelon, um, especially when he gets up against guys who can shut down his wrestling and do something on the feet to him. Um, you know, I'm not saying that just because he, I don't think he'll become champion means that he shouldn't even bother. He should just stay home in Bellator. I'd like to see him fight in the UFC. And I would think that the UFC would really like to, to see him in there too, because, you know, Hey, if the guy, if he turns out not to be championship material, then you got something you can use against Bellator there, you know? But I do think that it's one of these things in the bidding war where one of something complicating it is that 
Neither promotion thinks of him as a guy you can really sell. So they're trying to maybe convince the other one or force the other one into a situation where they have to overpay to get a guy who is not really putting butts in seats. Folks, back, back, backtracks on Askren. I'm writing the story for tomorrow's comainevent.com right now. That's the headline. Well, Folks, I'd... backtracks on Askren. All right. Just include a bunch of gifts. It'll be fine. The final piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Frazeal McTavish. What are the odds you think that that's the real name? Do you think Frazeal McTavish is a real name, or do you think that this person felt the need to hide their identity? <laughs> Wait, are you are you saying that uh, maybe this is somebody important? Maybe somebody... <laughs> yes. For all we know, it's President Barack Obama, and he's embarrassed. He doesn't want to anybody to know that. His, and his internet name is Frazeal McTavish. Better than Carlos Danger, I will say that. He thought no one would ever figure it out. Frazeal McTavish writes... Having listened to pretty much every show you guys have done so far, I find myself thinking you. about your attitude toward the sport. You guys seem to be have a growing sense of disdain toward the sport and those involved in it. Is it just a reaction to having covered it so long, or has this almost cynical approach always been there? Now, see, I would say that this is 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 not an accurate representation of of how we view the sport, because I don't feel cynical about it. I, no. I love the sport. It's my favorite individual sport, especially from bell to bell. The stuff that goes on inside the cage, I think, is outstanding, by and large. Yes. That said, what we're talking about here is the fight game. And almost as far back as anyone can remember, there have been extracurriculars, I guess you might say, stuff that doesn't necessarily pertain to the actual fighting, the stuff that, that, that happens outside the cage or ring that, uh, that is worthy of discussion, that is sometimes problematic. And hey, man, sometimes it's, it's, it's good. And I feel like when good stuff happens, we, uh, we say that good stuff happened. I don't, I just don't see it as cynical that, uh, one of the things we try to do with this podcast, one of the points of this podcast is to have the honest discussions that, frankly, you and I were having anyway yes. uh, before 65 weeks ago, before we started this podcast, and just decided to record them and, and, and publish them in the form of this podcast. I don't feel like that's cynical. I feel like that's just you know being realistic about how not everything that goes on in this sport is awesome. Yeah, and I agree that there should be a, a separation. One thing, I don't feel like I have a growing disdain for the sport, but I do feel like well, for one, uh, negative topics in any sport and in, you know, in politics and sports and entertainment, whatever, whatever your, your beat is, negative stuff just sometimes gets people fired up more and provokes stronger opinions. So I think that that stands out. I mean, when we're like, Hey, didn't this guy look awesome? There's not a whole lot to say about it after that. You kind of move on. Uh, and then it gets buried and it seems like we're only talking about negative stuff. Um, so I think that's part of it. And I also think you're right that it's one thing to, you know, criticize the prevalence of testosterone use and, and, you know, performance enhancing drug use or, uh, the, the skullduggery of various promotions. I mean, that's all the, like you said, kind of extracurriculars. I mean, the sport itself, the, like the athletic purity of the sport still, I think is pretty damn awesome. And I feel like, uh, but I can understand how somebody might get that impression after listening to us, be like, hey, do these guys even like it? Because sometimes it does feel, especially when it's your job uh, to cover this stuff, where you just want to throw your hands up and say, oh, come on, what the, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, no, and I agree. That's a good point here from Frazeal McTavish, because I do believe President Barack Obama. that when you do 
uh, go into an industry that you love or as a journalist, you dedicate yourself to reporting about something that that is a thing that you really, really like. Yes, it does undermine that in some ways, especially after you do it for a while. Um, you, you get to see some stuff behind the scenes stuff that, that leads you to believe that maybe at least some of these guys that you had really liked before are not necessarily worthy of, of hero worship. Although I hope that as a society, we're really rapidly getting to the point where we, where we realize these athletes ain't necessarily heroes. Yeah. They're just normal dudes trying to make millions and millions of dollars with their superhuman talents. Well, one thing I've heard actually, um, from, uh, several people uh, who I knew who have covered MMA in, in various capacities and then left that job to go cover usually other sports, frequently professional football, um, is how they feel like once they do that, then they're able to just be a fan of MMA again and kind of sit back and enjoy it, which is actually one of the things. I feel like covering MMA has made me less of an, uh, a sports fan in other regards. Like I just don't want to take the time to sit down and, and watch other sports. And kind of the exception to that is like, I'll watch like English Premier League soccer because I don't give a shit about it. Like it doesn't matter to me. I don't know anything about it. And I'm not going to go read about it. I don't care. So I can just turn off my brain for a few minutes and just watch. Uh, and I feel like that's one of the things you lose covering MMA for a living. Also, the same way that I felt this as a fan, I think a lot of people felt this is, especially if you were a fan of MMA in the early days, you feel this kind of like protective ownership of it. Uh, that's why you see people debating like what's good for the sport. And, not, and so when you see people doing stupid things that reflects poorly on the sport of MMA and on its fans and on, you know, the people involved in it, you get mad at them because right. you want to say, damn it, we love this. Take better care of it. Yeah. If you love something, then you should care enough about it to point out when you when you think it's doing wrong, right? There you go. They're well, going to put that on that statue of you that they erect outside of uh, the press box one of these days. You said erect. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, a concern for the podcast in the future, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast, and that will get you in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and move on with round number one. Benson Henderson and Anthony Pettis will do it again, brother. This Saturday at UFC 164, it will be a good and hotly anticipated fight between two of the lightweight division's youngish stars, albeit one that came about in sort of a roundabout way. At first, we thought Anthony Pettis would fight Jose Aldo for the featherweight title and that Benson Henderson would defend his lightweight title against TJ Grant. As we all know, those plans all went up in smoke, and so now we get this. Benson Henderson versus Anthony Pettis 2 this Saturday from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ben, do you feel like this fight is coming about at the right time, or do you feel like we could have waited a little bit longer to let to let either of these guys get a little bit more, ment more momentum, either as champion or as challenger, or is it uh, already overdue that we get Anthony Pettis and Benson Henderson back in the cage together? You know, I feel like one of the things I've learned from watching MMA over the years is uh, when there's a fight that seems like eventually going to be a good matchup or a rematch that's probably going to happen, don't wait. 
Exactly. Because yes. God damn it, you don't know what's going to happen. Those Some, MMA gods might stick their meddling fingers in there. That's right. Some guy could have a motorcycle accident. Some guy God's gets sakes. knocked off a motorcycle or decides to go Hollywood or gets thrown in jail. You don't know, man. I, I think that there, there's no real need to, to put this off as long as, hey, if it's a fight that that can be made, there was an opening when, uh, of course, uh, that the terrible, terrible jujitsu uh, accident, the concussion heard around the world. Yeah. Uh, so if Anthony Pettis is actually healthy enough to slide in there and take that spot, then, hey, I, I don't see why not. I mean, this to me seems like the UFC is doing all the, the stuff you'd expect them to do with this one where you just show the Showtime kick over and over again. Benson Henderson talking about removing a mark from his soul, um, which, by the way, pet peeve of fighters talking about uh, avenging a loss in a rematch where they talk about how they got to get that loss off their record. No, man. I think we've talked about this before. That's not how it works. <laughs> the loss stays on your record, even if you beat the guy in the rematch. Um, but no, I... This, to me, seems like legitimately interesting title fight, uh, and damn it, I'm looking forward to it. Me too, and I will say, not, not necessarily as a retort to your, to, to your comment about trying to get that loss off your record, because as you and me and Steve Mazzagotti and John Jones all know, that loss is there forever. <laughs> uh, you can understand, though, how this one would sting especially bad for Ben Henderson, not only because during the, the pre-fight Baba O'Reilly uh, uh, highlight package that is shown in the live arena at the at every UFC fight show. That Showtime kick ain't going nowhere. No. That's going to be there for the rest of the the life of the UFC. He's gonna, I guess, if he's there, have to see himself get kicked in the face after Anthony Pettis bounces off the cage like a goddamn Spider Man. Probably till the day that he dies. Yeah, I mean they already use it. He's the champion, and that's not enough to get them to take it off. So yeah, you're right. And you know it does have because uh, I remember being at that fight, uh, the the final WEC event in uh, Glendale, Arizona, and afterwards, uh, Benson Henderson showed up to the, the press conference, and he was sitting there like before the press conference really started. And you could see it on his face. Like you could see the emotions working their way through his brain as he thought about it. Like as he realized, cause at the time it was whoever wins this fight, um, not only is the last reigning WEC lightweight champion, um, but gets the, gets a lightweight title shot in the UFC immediately. Right. Speaking like, of those best laid plans and awesome fights that you're, that you can plan. Right. Yeah, so that was what was at stake, or at least that, that's what they thought at the time. And he lost it to Anthony Pettis there. And you could just see it, like, where he would, his face would go through that thing of, like, oh, I can't take it. I'm going to cry. No, no, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to let these assholes see me cry. Oh, yes, I am. I got to cry. You could just see it. And it was hard to watch, man. It really made you feel for the guy. Because you could see that the full impact of what had happened and what it meant for his career and all that was just kind of setting in. And you're watching it unfold on his face in real time. Indeed. And I mean, and the other reason I guess that you could make a case that this loss stings particularly bad for Benson Henderson is shit, man. It's his only loss in like 18 fights. You look at the guy's record and it's like he's beat a who's who of lightweights. Essentially, you know, he's got wins over over Donald Cerrone, he beat Jamie Varner, he he you know, he's beat Clay Guida, he beat Frankie Edgar, he beat Nate Diaz, he beat, beat Gilbert Melendez, he even he beat smaller time guys like Shane Roller, Anthony Njikawani, Mark Bocek. And then you just like if you're looking at it on Wikipedia, there's that one pink blemish in the middle of all that green. 
Anthony Pettis. Mark decision. on his soul. A pink WC mark on his 53. soul. So while maybe it's going over the top a little bit to say that it is a mark on his soul, you can understand how he would be itching to get back and get this one off, uh, you know, out of his mind just because it's the the only loss he's had in forever. Uh, certainly, what, I, what I'm hearing is that you don't believe in the existence of the soul. That's what I think you just said there. Well, I mean, if he looks in the mirror, do you think that he sees a reflection of himself or? No, existence I'm, of soul, a farce, says Dundas. Tomorrow on co-main event. <laughs> Dot com. Oh, the gifts we'll have for that one. This, uh, this Ben Henderson especially is a guy that after he lost that title fight to Anthony Pettis, maybe his expectations were diminished a little bit coming into the UFC. And ever since then, he's just been on a tear. He's won seven fights in a row. And as we all know, he's the champion, even though, uh, you know, I guess with Ben Henderson, you can't really argue with the results, although he's been eking out. You can't out. argue with the results. <laughs> like you can literally argue with the results. Good, good point. I guess if you were Ben Henderson, you couldn't argue with the results. The rest of us can and do argue with the results uh, frequently. Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about this fight is the way it pairs up two guys with very different approaches and, and philosophies in there. Ben, Benson Henderson seems like he's gotten really good at figuring out uh, how to nullify someone else's offense and how to win rounds one at a time. He knows what judges are looking for. You know, He keeps it close uh, a lot of times in the, in the early part of the round, turns it on late. Uh, and does a good job of winning rounds and, and wins a bunch of these close fights this way. And Anthony Pettis in the other, other direction seems like every time he goes out there, uh, he's trying to get himself a new highlight, which sometimes gets him in trouble, like with the Clay Guida fight, where he's trying like some crazy jumping kicks there and he just gets taken down over and over again and loses a decision. Uh, but then it seems like he's kind of honed that to a, uh, a sharper point later on where you see him like knocking out guys like Cerrone and stuff like and pulling off these crazy jumping knees where you're like, oh, come on. Why did you think that was going to work? And then you watch it in the replay and you realize, holy shit, he actually landed that stuff. Like that's a like the exact opposite of what Benson Henderson does. It makes me wonder, though, if what it really takes is a guy like Benson Henderson who can just totally take advantage of the other dude's willingness to do crazy stuff, especially, you know, once he's already been in there and seen some of it. Yeah, and I think that you're right that that leads to there being some intrigue here. Uh, we joked about it at the top of the show, but clearly this is a fight where both guys would very much like us to believe that they've both changed so much as fighters since the first time they fought that that the first one is sort of irrelevant and that the you know the opponent won't recognize them that they're going to be this totally new athlete. Um, we've seen Duke Rufus, Anthony Pettis's trainer, go on Twitter a couple times and sort of tease tease us with the the idea that he knows the secret. To beating Ben Henderson, uh, which the group uh, is a lot of fun. In, I don't, in that in that way. I don't know if 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 there's if that has a lot of legs. I guess we'll find out. Uh, well, here, here's what I want to know from you: Do you think that there is any chance that when he's sitting around in the gym, Benson Henderson is thinking about how he's going to put Anthony Pettis away, how he's going to go out there and finish Anthony Pettis, or do you think he's thinking about like a tactical, strategic game plan from start to finish that's going to allow him to win the rounds and win the decision? Well, the latter. I think he's probably thinking of a, of a, of a strategic and, and tactical game plan. Uh, I don't know if he's planning on winning a decision. I think he probably uh, is taking a look at what he thinks Anthony Pettis' weaknesses are and whether or not he thinks he can, he can take him down and neutralize that dynamic striking game that Anthony Pettis has. I assume Ben Henderson, being a professional mixed martial arts fighter, believes that he could get a finish if he, if he is able to put the fight in the, in the position where he believes he is strong. I feel like if he was being totally honest, he would like if he and he asked him, "How do you see yourself winning this?" It would be by decision. Okay, well, that's just like your opinion, man. That is just like my opinion. Um, you know, the first time they fought Benson Henderson, it was in Benson's Henderson's home state of Arizona, so I guess that it's only fair that the second time they do it, 
We're going to be in Anthony Pettis' backyard in Milwaukee. That's his town. Uh, that is his town. We've heard a lot of uh, different opinions about how, what it's like to fight in your hometown o- over the years from different guys. Some guys really thrive on it. Other guys have been a little bit more honest and said that uh, they don't like it, that they feel like not only does it heap a lot more pressure on them because they know for a fact that everyone that they – that they know and everyone in their families are going to be there watching, but they also have to deal with distractions all week of people like calling them up and be like, Hey man, can you get me tickets and yeah. stuff like that? And I think the UFC probably expects you to, to do a little extra press stuff in your hometown that they might not expect if, if you're in Vegas. And I think too, when fighters go on the road, that it's a little bit, you can get more in that little cocoon where you sit around in the hotel room, you go down to the workout room uh, in the hotel you go to the events that you have to do to give interviews and do your workout and weigh in and all that stuff, but you don't do a whole lot else. And when you're in your hometown, I think that that changes. Well, that's going to be this Saturday night, Benson Henderson against Anthony Pettis for the UFC lightweight championship at UFC 164. I assume you're coming over to my house to watch this one. I will be over at Ben Folks' house in the basement watching with his lovely family. Just shouting. Just shouting nonsensical things. Shouting, with his shirt off. shouting, just r- r- rage-filled comments at the television. Nah, I don't know. I'll probably sit there and be real polite. Drunk and abusive is Chad Dundas. <laughs> that is inaccurate. Coming up right now, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to engage in another ex- edition of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. that time again we welcome back to the podcast friend of the show and noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock sir nigel how are you good day to you sir i am raring to go it looks your your mustache is in fine condition today thank you i actually treated it with conditioner <laughs> well i'm glad to hear that uh those of you who don't know how this works sir nigel's basically just going to read us off some tweets chad and i will take some wild guesses uh especially when we Basically, just assume that Sean McCorkle or War Machine is behind every other one. Uh, and somewhere in here, maybe we'll all learn something. Uh, so, Nigel, I guess I should go ahead and ask before you begin this week's tweets, is there a theme? There is a theme, oh, sir. Good. It's funny you should ask. <clears throat> the theme is public relations. <laughs> public relations. Managing one's relations with the public. Or Let's simply see. making public one's own relations. <laughs> all right. Well, uh... I'm excited. Chad, you ready for this? I think I'm as ready as I'm going to get. All right. So, Nigel, when you're ready, hit us with the first one. Yes. Let us begin. Tweet the first. It's funny how sensitive y'all keyboard warriors be. If you disrespect me for no reason, then don't get mad when I hurt them feelings. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody threatened to hurt them feelings. Well... You know, if not for the diction, I would say that this this sentiment is War Machine-esque. Right, yeah. I think you're, you're on to something. But something about the language, I don't know. It feels like a Mitrione to me. I'm going to say Matt Mitrione. Yeah, that's a pretty good guess, I guess. Um, boy, that's a tough one, I think. I am going to go with uh, everyone's favorite compliment to Matt Mitrione. Big Sexy, Sean McCorkle. Well, now we're hitting all the bases right off the bat. Both fine guesses, both well-grounded in tradition, and both wrong. It is, in fact, King Mo. His oh. Highness, King Mo. King Mo will hurt them feelings. He will. He'll you, throw them bungalows to a lesser extent. If you leave him out there, he's going to hurt them. <clears throat> Tweet the second. 
Why y'all crying because I said that some war veterans are pussies? Lots of professional fighters are pussies. Lots. Stop crying. Jeez. Wow, I feel like there's a story behind this one. Wait, do we, did, did you happen to do the research on the tweet to find out what the original tweet calling war veterans pussies was? Yes, uh, in the beginning he opines that war veterans are pussies compared to him. <laughs> ah, Basically, okay. yeah. So the tweeter in question basically puts like himself and then war veterans and then I assume like pediatric surgeons, <laughs> whatever. All right, well that's, that feels like a war machine to me. Uh, I guess I'm going to go Tim Kennedy here. Well, if there's there's somebody who actually could call war veterans, that's what I'm pussies. thinking. Like, not totally crazy, uh, just rant, but like maybe was trying to put himself over and got himself in some trouble. I don't know. Okay, I'm just uh, guessing. Hey, I'm no, just guessing. I like that you're 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 willing to put your balls out there. I like that. Both. Well, I'm not fun. sure I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> both fine guesses, both grounded in their own peculiar logic, and only one correct. It is war machine. Uh, oh, of course it was. yeah. Did I hurt them feelings, Chad? Uh, them feelings are hurt. Clearly, War Machine associates war with not being a pussy. This is what amazes me. <clears throat> also, we did not include his tweet about raping his girlfriend, which he also tweeted a couple weeks ago. We, we, we've touched on this, I believe. Oh, yes. Well, it was, it was not a cool tweet. If you're listening to the CME <laughs> podcast, neither rape nor tweet about rape. <clears throat> tweet the third. This is a quote, so it's a sort of exchange. And the quote is, Mark will make you his bitch. Why? Because you choke when it matters the most. End quote. The tweeters reply, I hear your mum choked last night. That's got to be Bisping. All the pieces yeah, are in play. Mum? Hi. And Mark Munoz, who Bisping yeah. is scheduled to fight next. And, uh, of course, Bisping would go right back with a, a mom joke after somebody criticizes him, right? Or a mum joke. You had me at mum. <laughs> Sir Nigel. It, is, it is, in fact, Michael Bisping. Now, do what you wanted to do when you put this tweet in this bunch and go ahead and do it in your Michael Bisping voice. I heard your mom check last night. She's performing a sex act on your genitals <laughs> with her mouth. Uh, by the way, we've had some requests uh, because of your awful Michael Bisping impression. To, people want to know if your Conor McGregor is any better or worse. It's much, much better, sir. Oh, you'd like to hear? It? I guess we'll have to wait to find out. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a paid monkey for well, mostly I am actually, but no, I'm not prepared. I'm sorry, I cannot. <laughs> All right, proceed. <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. There are more good-looking women at JFK Airport in NYC than in the entire state of Indiana. Okay, so what we're thinking here is a fighter who was maybe flying out of New York City to Indiana to compete on Wednesday night's Indy card for the UFC. Who does that sound like to you? Well, I'm going to go, since you already used this, but I have not, Matt Mitrione, since he trains in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so you're saying he was going the other way to New York City from Indiana. Or coming coming home. Okay. All right. Well, I'm confused now. Um I'm going to say Matt Sarah. Hmm. Both fine guesses. Both wrong. It is big, sexy Sean oh, McCorkle. God damn it. Just a shout out to the women of his home state, begging them not to have sexual intercourse with him. <laughs> well, I feel like he has a pretty good chance of succeeding there. 
<clears throat> Here's a tip. Always tell the audience they're good looking. People love it. <laughs> bunch Tweet. of sweat hogs in Indiana. <laughs> it is a bunch of sweat hogs in Indiana. Tweet the fifth. Come on, Beverly Hills. I need you to inspect my juice store so I can move forward. And then a picture of a room that has been destroyed with jackhammers. Juice store, huh? Juice store. Hoping to move forward. So a fighter is trying to open a juice store in Beverly Hills. I mean, we know Czech Congo has that, that clothing boutique, uh, presumably called the Coat Check. Um, you know who I'm going to say? Who I know is involved in juice-oriented commerce? Seth Petrozelli. Weird. The Kimbo Slayer. Yeah, wow. I didn't, I didn't know he was into the juice. Um, I can't even think of a fighter that lives in L.A., Oh, I know one, but I don't think it's him. But I'll go ahead and guess Boss Rutten anyway, just oh. because I like the idea that perhaps Boss Rutten is uh, opening a juice store. See, I thought you were going to go Mac Danzig, everybody's favorite oh, L.A. That vegan. would be a good guess. I already said Boss Rutten. Okay. Well, all three fine guesses, all three faced allegations of juicing, but all three wrong. It is Rich Franklin. Oh, oh of course. Forward. By opening what I presume is a Jamba Juice in Beverly Hills. Oh, Rich, I actually, now I feel stupid because I've actually talked to Rich personally about this juice enterprise he's wow. involved in. Wow, well, that is stupid. Yeah. I can't imagine you'd forget that. No, somehow it didn't make the cut in the story. Uh, I guess that's it. Sir Nigel, uh, what do you got planned this week? Well, it's funny you should ask, sir. I'm, as we speak, filming a documentary about Tim Sylvia's return and the future of his career. And what is it called? Oblivion. And what role do you play? I play the great empty space where Tim Sylvia's career once was. <laughs> well, I'll have to make sure not to see that. That was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. For the first time since 2002, the War Master, formerly known as the Babyface Assassin, Josh Barnett returns to the UFC. To give you an idea of how long it's been since he fought in the UFC, uh, last time we saw him was when he defeated Randy Couture at UFC 36. Also on that card, uh, Matt Hughes defeated uh, Hayato Sakurai. Uh-huh. One of the greats. One of the greats. Uh, Pedro Hizzo defeated Andre Arlovsky. Uh, Matt Lindland defeated Pat Militich. That kind of dates this. And Evan Tanner defeated Elvis Sinisek. Wow. Well, you know, other than... than on the prelims... Okay, you're not done. I didn't mean to interrupt prelims, you. On the prelims, Frank Mir defeated Pete Williams. Wow. So they fought on that the same card. That's right. Josh Barnett's last UFC appearance. And lo, here we are, all these years later, the war master and Frank Mir finna do it again, brother. You know, aside from the departed Evan Tanner, if you told me that that was the next World Series of Fighting card, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure that I would be able to, to call you a liar. They, Sean Shirk was on it, so was Matt Serra. I mean, a real just glimpse into UFC yesteryear right there. Am I the only one who misses the babyface assassin nickname? 
you know, I felt like, well, it's harder now that he has that big Viking beard. Yeah. It just he, doesn't really fit. That's true. He does seem more like a war master. Although war master does violate one of our biggest rules for nicknames. Sounds like a nickname he gave himself. Yeah, we know that he pretty much know that he gave it to himself, right? Yeah. Yeah, the thing that I like about both Barnett's nicknames is that they both make him sound like he could be like one of the lesser members of the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> like, after, I mean, there are a lot of yeah, lesser after members Enter of the, the Thirty Six Chambers came out, like the Babyface Assassins album came out six months later on Ruckus Records and they, sold like fifteen thousand copies. Sixty Second Assassin was a a a minor player in the Wu Tang Clan. I think he'd be kind of pissed if Barnett showed up there trying to be Babyface Assassin, though. War Master had one single out. On, on Def Jam, on Tommy Boy, back in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, now we have Josh Barnett back. Uh, what do you think Josh Barnett does for the UFC's heavyweight division? I, you know, uh, I'm interested to see Josh Barnett back in the UFC, just because after years of sort of sporadic MMA appearances in promotions like Dream and Sengoku and Affliction, he really re- revitalized his career in some ways, making that run that he made through the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. Um, do I think that he's suddenly going to become UFC champion again? No, probably not. Uh, but in a division as shallow as the UFC Heavyweight division is, I think that having guys like Barnett and Travis Brown, who we talked about last week, and hell, man, even Ben Rothwell, if if he didn't now have this specter of TRT swirling around him. I think all those guys, you know, their, their mere presence in the UFC makes that division more interesting. It does. I, I feel some ways, though, that having Josh Barnett back, and as much as we like the guy, friend of the podcast, good dude, uh, it almost seems like a tying up of loose ends. Like, okay, here were these heavyweights who were in play in strike force and seemed relevant. We got to bring him over and let him play some of this stuff out, just so we can say we did it, and we don't have to have you know show up to fan Q and As and have people asking Dana White, "Why didn't you ever bring Josh Barnett over?" Is it because you're scared he's going to rule your heavyweight division? <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. Because also, I mean, you mentioned like his run through the the Strike Force Grand Prix, and again, like there's really you can't point to any of his performances and say that like there was anything wrong with any of them. But at the same time. He didn't face the the toughest toughest of opponents. I mean, until he got to Cormier, in, in which case he lost the decision. I mean, no, he, put he up had a, a pretty fight. he had a pretty easy road there with Brett Rogers and and Sergey Heratonov. Well, and then you look at some of his other recent fights. I mean, Nandor Guelmino, uh, nailed he, it, crushed it. <laughs> who he fought in, you know, when they were just kind of finishing up Strike Forces' sad run. Uh, and you go back before that, Geronimo Dos Santos, uh, Mighty Mo over in Dream, Gilbert Ivel uh, in Affliction. Uh, and, and aged Pedro Hizo, um, and then Jeff Monson and, and Sengoku. I mean, he hasn't been fighting like the top tier heavyweights. And I mean, that's not a knock on him. It's just they weren't really available where he was. Uh, Daniel Cormier is the, the toughest heavyweight he's faced in a long time. Again, he lost that one. The decision looked pretty decent. Now it doesn't even look like Daniel Cormier is going to end up being a true heavyweight. So who right. knows? Well, and like I said about Travis Brown last week, and I didn't mean it as an insult, and I don't mean it about as an insult when I say it about Josh Barnett this week. It's, there's not many guys in that division that are going to be able to beat those top three, four guys. Uh, and, and, and as to where Barnett ultimately ends up in the heavyweight division, maybe you're right that it does feel a little bit like uh, tidying up some business to have him come over and appear in the UFC again. But I also feel like this Frank Mir fight, it's a pretty good litmus test because clearly if he goes out and loses to Frank Mir, who has gone through some hard times of his own recently, then uh, you look at Josh Barnett and say, ah, okay, well, I guess he didn't probably belong in the heavyweight division either. If he goes out and beats Frank Mir, then, 
hey, I think you can go ahead and say that he's a guy who can come in and, and contribute, maybe not be, like I said, the next champion, but certainly a guy who can hang around and have some fun fights. You know, if he beats Frank Mir, that's three in a row for Frank Mir. I mean, one the first one to set up that one off was uh, a, the TKO loss to Junior Dos Santos for the heavyweight title, um, and then to Daniel Cormier, and then, you know, if he gets beat by Josh Barnett, no... You know, no easy fights in that bunch, but at the same time, it'll be three in a row uh, for a former heavyweight champ who was himself back in the mix way back in UFC 36 uh-huh. back in the day. I feel like if Barnett and Mira were a law firm, they would be talking about their 30 years of combined experience <laughs> headed into this fight, <laughs> which would totally work. That, that's gonna that's gonna play well on the local daytime TV commercials. Uh, but you know, you do have to think also. This fight maybe gives us a, a little glimpse of MMA's historic problems with PEDs. Josh Barnett, uh, a, a multiple-time offender in that regard. Frank Mir, now on that good TRT. This is the kind of stuff where when you step back and think about that, makes it start to feel a little depressing, doesn't it? Like you just can't get away from this shit. Yeah, and that's the thing you're always going to have with Barnett is the link to his past PED use. Tested positive once, I believe in 2002, after he beat Randy Couture for the title. Uh, and that was sort of like the end of his initial run through the through the UFC. And then he tested positive again in 2009, right around the... Uh, debacle of his scheduled fight with with Fedor Emelianenko. So with Barnett, you got a guy who's a two-time loser and the kind of thing where if you were going to do a round about him fighting Frank Mir or returning to the UFC for the first time in 11 years, we have to talk about it. Otherwise, we're going to get a bunch of emails from people being like, why'd you suck off Josh Barnett on the show? <laughs> so yeah, That is what you sound like in our heads when we read those emails, <laughs> by the way. Those are always going to be, you know, those positive tests are always going to be a black mark on Josh Barnett's career, and some of us are never going to forgive him for that. And and frankly, I don't want us to forget about those things and not not talk about him or pretend like Josh Barnett didn't do those things. At the same time, though, dear God, if there's one dude in the MMA environment who's fighting clean at this point, like you'd have to be a fool if you were Josh Barnett to to go out and try to roll the dice for a third time, wouldn't you? you Especially hope, right? when it's been proven in the past that you can fuck that shit up. You can get <laughs> caught for that. God, you would hope. I, yeah, I guess. Well, and I guess uh, though it's one of those situations where, let's say you are Josh Barnett and you you feel like okay, I learned my lesson with that stuff. It's not worth it. Uh, I got busted, and you know now I'm I'm clean. I'm on the straight and narrow. All that. And here I go to fight Frank Mir, who has got permission to use steroids from the Athletic Commission. What the fuck, man? Yeah, probably kind of a bummer. Maybe that's as good a transition as any to talk about Ben Rothwell for a couple minutes here before we wrap this round up. News broke this past week that Frank Mir is not the only guy on this card who's going to have a testosterone uh, replacement therapy use exemption. Uh, headed into this event, Ben Rothwell will also have one uh, as he prepares to take on Brandon Vera. Now, I was surprised to learn Ben Rothwell is only 31. I would have guessed maybe a couple few years older than that. But uh, kind of like Vitor Belfort, kind of like Todd Duffy, Rothwell is a guy where you look at him getting a, a testosterone replacement therapy use exemption and you just have to think, what? Don't you? Or or is there something going on here that I'm not seeing? Is this justifiable in some way? Does it make you feel like it's finally time for us to go down and get our levels tested? Because I feel both like we're three or four pa- years past due for that shit. <laughs> That's right. We're both older than him. We don't have the ability to grow such impressive body hair as he does. I'm not six foot four, two hundred and fifty eight pounds. 
Yeah, it does make you feel like we're we must be just decrepit old men with with hardly well, any testosterone. There are multiple things that makes me feel that way, and not necessarily my testosterone levels. But you know, one of the things that made me think was uh, we keep seeing this stuff happen. The heavyweights seemed way more likely to become uh, offenders in this category. You want an argument for the flyweights? Here it is, man. How many flyweights out there got TRT exemptions? None that we've heard about so far. I mean, we get Brian Bowles got popped for using uh, his own, going on his own TRT program without permission. But hey, I, I'm just saying, maybe maybe this is an argument for the little fellas. More and more heavyweights keep jumping on this stuff. I, the thing to me is when stuff like this starts happening and people are like, oh, well, there's another guy with a TRT exemption. I worry that we're gonna, just going to reach the point of fatigue with it where it'll just be normal that pretty much every fight card has somebody who's on testosterone. Yeah, man, I feel like we're almost there. It's like just when you look at like the past few weeks of this show that we've done, this week we did a whole round about Barnett and Mir where we had to talk about it. You know, we just had Jail Sonnen beat Shogun Hua where we had to either talk about it or not talk about it. And, and, and it just seems like on and on we keep running up against these guys that, that – are on testosterone replacement therapy, and every single guy who's on it, you have to make that an addendum to whatever you talk about uh, when you talk about his fight. So I agree with you. It gets tiresome, but uh, like I said about those emails, we'll get those <laughs> if we don't talk about them. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, uh, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week, and then we'll move on to round number three. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Jen, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me, I assume you saw Vanderlei Silva's YouTube video Did response. Did to Chael Sonnen. Scared the shit out of me. It appears that Vanderlei Silva is hanging out in a dimly lit basement, listening to heavy metal, and just yelling into a camera about what a butt face Chael Sonnen is. Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? That is so awesome. <laughs> that is exactly what I would have hoped Vanderlei Silva was doing. If you would have asked me like for a dream scenario, what's Vanderlei Silva doing right now? Oh, he's hanging out in somebody's basement, listening to the metal, yelling about that butt face Chel Sonnen. Yeah, that's that's how I want to picture the man in his off time, in his spare time. Are you fucking kidding me, Vanderlei? Are you fucking you beautiful kidding son me. of a bitch? My favorite part of that entire five-minute-long promo Butt was face. how much of the stuff that he had to say concerned what he was going to do to Chael Sonnen's face. Like, mul there's multiple times during that promo where he's he mentions something horrible that he's going to do to Chael Sonnen's face. Which, if the guy is a butt face, it seems like you'd almost be doing him a favor by you know rearranging it. Anything's got to be an improvement, right? That's, <laughs> that's right. Ben, this week, the thing that made me say, are you fucking kidding me, was finding out about Stefan Struve's unbelievable bummer of a heart disorder. I interviewed Stefan Struve a couple of years ago for a feature story that I did, and I have to say that I came away from it kind of impressed with the kid, especially for a then 24-year-old, just in terms of his professionalism and his level-headedness. And uh, he was a guy that I feel like whenever we talk about him, we talk about him having this enormous potential, so much so that we sort of get frustrated when we watch his fights, when it seems like he's not taking the proper steps forward to live up to that potential. Um, and so it was just an unbelievable bummer this week to find out that his career is on hold now due to a leaky heart valve and an enlarged heart condition that was discovered uh, uh, just recently. Um he was on the MMA Hour this week, and you could tell that he gets emotional just talking about the, the potential for this to, to end his career. Uh, and so, you know, at 25 years old, that's just the kind of thing that you don't want to hear about happening to anyone. So uh, I just have to say, man, are you fucking kidding me? Heart condition? Stefan Struve? Maybe done? 
So wait, is that are you fucking kidding? Like, is that directed at his heart or like at just you know like nature? You don't make the rules here. Okay, all right. This is an open forum. We do what we like. What I wonder is, guy, seven foot tall dude. How do you even know if he has an enlarged heart? It's got to be pretty huge, right? Good question. Good question. But we hope he's got to have a heart like an engine block. We hope that Stefan Struve gets well and is able to come back and. Uh, do the thing that he loves to do. Anyway, or just not die. How about that? Or just not die. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. There hasn't been a ton of attention paid to Carlos Conant's rematch with Martin Campman as the main event this Wednesday on UFC Fight Night 27, much of that likely stemming from the fact that both guys lost to Johnny Hendricks their last time out. Uh, but Ben, I feel like this is a fight that could creep up on us in, in, on the fight of the year candidate lists. Uh, it seems like one that, that has the potential to be super awesome. Um, so what I'm trying to say is I'll see you on Wednesday at your house in the basement I'll be just yelling stuff at the screen. I heard both guys are in the best shape of their lives. Do they have perfect training camps headed into this, headed into this fight? Yeah. You, I mean, it seems like just based on uh, all that, with both guys in the best shape of their lives and both coming off of perfect, never been better training camps, this has got to be some like once-in-a-lifetime Haley's Comet type shit about to happen on Wednesday night, am I right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, if you come into your 27th, professional MMA fight as Martin Campman is going to do and for uh Carlos Condit uh like your 35th professional MMA fight that makes me wonder what kind of shape you were in the 36 previous times out just shitty just shitty shit <laughs> you think they were lying every time except this time just wheezing into the cage just barely holding it together. I'm looking forward to the day that a guy comes out to an interview and he's like, oh, my training camp was a disaster. It was just fraught with peril <laughs> since day one. Couldn't I, I had maybe two days that my training partners didn't show up drunk. <laughs> Showed up for the first day of training. Gym was closed down uh, under quarantine because there was a bubonic plague outbreak. First day. That was day one. Day two, stub my toe. <laughs> you know, so we had to call it off right there. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm looking forward to this one, and I feel like this, in a way, I kind of like to see the UFC getting back to the old uh, structure it used to have with the Spike TV fight nights, where yep. a little bit of a free fight card thrown at you on Wednesday night, although they're probably going to spend an inordinate amount of time just hyping the shit out of the upcoming pay-per-view, since that's where the bread is buttered. Uh, but... Uh, Hey, man, a chance to kick back on a Wednesday night, watch some fights. Mm, then we'll uh, watch Deadliest Warrior when this one's over. We'll watch right? Deadliest Warrior, see if there's a Blue Mountain State Marathon on later on. Maybe we'll, we'll luck into an episode of Mansers. <laughs> Who knows? Can can boobs crush a beer can? I don't know. Mansers <laughs> will tell us. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But the problem is, I feel like for the dudes fighting on that card, as you mentioned... Uh, the UFC is going to spend more of its time promoting the show that it, you know, gets paid cold hard cash from its fans for, as opposed to the one that gets on free TV. Um, which I don't know. Maybe that explains some of the way you could put the fight cards together. Because, okay, at the top, Carlos Condit, Martin Campman, that might determine, you know, a little bit of the welterweight contender picture. Although I don't think, regardless, either guy comes out of there uh, ready to challenge for a title. Either way it goes. Um, 
but then, you know, you got fights like Donald Cerrone. He's always fun on there. Uh, and then, of course, I know you're really excited about the featured prelim bout on Fox Sports 2 between Dylan Andrews and Poppy Abetti. That's right. Those are my guys. The prelim main event. What's the prelim co-main event? I guess the prelim co-main Don't event. Don't even answer that. That's not a real Would be thing. Justin Edwards versus Brandon Thatch. Yeah, I'm pumped for that one, too. Prelim co-main event. <laughs> You know, you're right, though, that this is kind of a bummer for, for Carlos Condit and, and, uh, and Martin Kamen. I mean, I guess it's, it's awesome that they're going to fight on the, on the second UFC card on, on FS1, but, uh, you know, the, no one cares about the second card on FS1. I guess that's true. But the first one did good ratings, so they have the potential that a lot of people are going to get to watch them fight at least. First one wasn't on Wednesday night, but go on. Wow, you're really just trying to what dress, else you got? dress this up as a. What else you got, Dennis? Okay, here's the here's the bonus for these guys. I think here's the, is <coughs> no, yeah, take it if away. You're Carlos Go Con- for it, if folks. You're, what's Carlos- uh, what's awesome to you about this fight? If we're if you're Carlos Condit and and Martin Campman and you get put on a pay per view, you're gonna be what like third fight down on the pay per view. Maybe if they think it's be an awesome fight, you'll kick off the pay per view. That kind of thing. Uh, and as we've seen, that hurts your chances for winning one of the of-the-night bonuses. If you're in the main event of uh, an FS1 card and you look down and you got a bunch of dudes like fucking Dylan Andrews and Poppy Abetti on there competing for you, your chances of taking home one of those bonus checks just got a lot better, right? So you're saying that the one positive that you take away from this for Carlos Conant and Martin Kamen is the opportunity to maybe luck into a performance-based bonus at the end of the night. Plus, it's on a Wednesday night. You're home by Thursday. You get to spend the weekend at home. Well, I hope we don't get any more emails to the podcast saying that I'm the negative one because, <laughs> wow, that is... You really... An airport wait You didn't do a lot to shine a light on this one. Probably not... Probably a little bit lighter on Thursday morning than like Sunday, trying to get out of there. <sighs> All right. Well, can we talk about Donald Cerrone and, and sure. Rafael Dos sure, let's talk about it. Cerrone, obviously a guy who 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 had a lot of success in in the in the UFC lightweight division, uh, has recently maybe not been quite as successful, and now he goes up against Rafael Dos Anjos, who is the lightweight contender that no one wants to give no credit to. Uh, I know you talked to uh, Rafael Dos Anjos this week. And Cerrone. And Cerrone. Why don't you talk some more about that? I'll just sit over here and, and twist the knobs. <laughs> well, one of the things I actually talked to Dos Anjos about was that the fact that he can't get a whole lot of credit. I think some of that is due to, you know, you win a few decisions, especially close decisions, uh, and people don't exactly get fired up about you. Also, uh, he's, he doesn't have that ability to go out there. He's not a Conor McGregor. You're going to get out there and call out the whole division, even if he happens to be injured. Uh, in and- one tweet. In 140 <laughs> characters. Ten guys in 140 characters. Uh, he doesn't have that lightning in a bottle kind of thing. And so one of the things I asked him was about, you know, how do you get, how do you get people to pay attention to you, man? How do you get this title shot uh, that he thinks that he's close to having earned? You know, if he beats Cerrone, that's five in a row for him. And a win over Cerrone, that's a solid win. You know, Cerrone's a ranked lightweight there. Like, you can see how he would come out of that one feeling like now somebody's got to give me some respect, right? And he seems to think, well, if you go in there and beat Cerrone's ass, that'll be enough. Especially in the UFC's lightweight division, I'm not so sure, man. You might have to do, you're either going to have to put Cerrone away, uh, you know, have a really impressive performance against him, or figure out how to overcome your your natural shyness, if you're Rafael Dos Santos, and, and, and call some people out. 
What I have seen work for guys in the past is to text Dana White calling out a different <laughs> champion. That oftentimes results in you getting to fight for the lightweight title. So call out Dominic Cruz? Yes. As soon as, so as, as do Dominic is- Cruz, his bum knee is healed, him versus Dos Anjos, book it, Super Bowl weekend 2016. And this will somehow result in Dos Anjos getting a welterweight title Six shot. Six weeks before the, the event, we know Dominic Cruz will get a concussion starting for the Jets at quarterback or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we've clearly talked this to death. Let's do just saying stuff, then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, we talked about it in the last round as part of your Are, fucking kid- Are You Fucking Kidding Me? But at this point, we've seen Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva cut promos about a prospective match between the two. We've heard the internet clamor, and then we've also heard the UFC both give its stamp of approval on the fight, but also say the fight's not going to happen because Vanderlei Silva wants points on the pay-per-view or something. How dare he? Even though I don't know why you wouldn't just give Vanderlei Silva some damn points on the pay-per-view. Man's earned it. At this point, I'm just saying, dude, I have no interest whatsoever in actually seeing this fight. I have to say. The two most predictable guys in the UFC with the two most predictable fighting styles going out there to engage in what might be the most predictable fight of the year. I'm just saying, just to save everybody a little trouble, let's just log on to Chael Son's Wikipedia page and edit that shit to say win over Vanderlei Silva at UFC 67 via first round submission or unanimous decision or whatever. I'm just saying. While we're in there, we might as well change his nickname to Buttface. <laughs> now you're thinking like an internet hacker. Because <laughs> I mean, we're already there. That's We've right. already taken the trouble to log onto his Wikipedia page. Well, Chad, I'm just saying that uh, according to uh, recent internet reports, uh, World Series of Fighting 5 uh, will include a fighter by the name of Andrew Osborne, whose nickname is Ozzy. All right. Nice. Andrew Ozzy Osborne. Not sure that counts as a nickname, but anyway, go on. I'm just saying, you can't do that. You can't just, just, I mean, Ozzy is not a, a nickname for Andrew. You clearly put it in there just because Ozzy Osborne is a, a famous musician and you thought that sounded cool. You don't get to do that, man. It's like, you know, could Rich Franklin change his nickname to Benjamin? Like, no, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. I'm just saying, Andrew Ozzy Osbourne, knock that shit off. Go with, you know, Pitbull or <laughs> Smash Hammer or whatever else everybody else does. Wow, you went deep in the stacks for that one. Yes, it did. That is deep cuts on the Just Saying Stuff this week. Anyway, that's going to do it for episode 66 of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We will be back next week about this same time to tell you what happened at both of these fight shows and possibly look ahead to another fight show. I don't know. It's crazy. You crazy. We'll do whatever. As for right now, we're done. We're through. We're out. What if you had your nickname, Chad, well done this? Huh? What do you think? How's that hit you? I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. Oh. Oh.